do extend a word of welcome to each one here today, to those who are visiting, those watching online. Uh, we trust that uh, you know the Lord's blessing as we gather together and as we worship Him this morning. We're going to commence our service by turning in the hymnal to the Psalm 61. Uh, the Psalm 61. O God, give ear unto my cry, unto my prayer attend. From out the utmost ends of earth, my cry to thee I'll send. Now, the Psalm 61, we'll stand as we sing, please. be seated. I'm going to turn in the Word of God to the Psalm, the Psalm 118, the Psalm 118, and we'll read the first 10 verses together, please. 
The Psalm 118, commencing to read at verse 1. And the Word of God says, O give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good, because His mercy endureth forever. Let Israel now say that His mercy endureth Let the house of Aaron now say that His mercy endureth forever. Let them now that fear the Lord say that His mercy endureth forever. I called upon the Lord in distress. The Lord answered me and set me in a large place. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do unto me? The Lord taketh my part with them that help me. Therefore shall I see my desire upon them that hate me. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust the Lord than to put confidence in princes. All nations compassed me about, but in the name of the Lord will I destroy them. Amen. And may the Lord bless the reading of His precious and infallible truth. And let, me, let us remind ourselves, as it says in verses 8 to 9, it is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man or to put confidence in princes. Let us focus ourselves today upon the Lord and let us look afresh to Him and put our trust in men or in princes or in power. But rather let us look to the Lord and look to Him for His grace, for His help, for His strength. And come to worship Him for the outpouring of His Spirit upon us as well. Let us unite together and let us uh, the Lord. Our eternal God and our loving Father in heaven, uh, we thank Thee this morning that we can gather in uh, to Thy presence. We thank Thee that we are reminded of the great trust that we can have in Thee, and that great trust that we ought to have in Thee. Father, how many put their trust in men and in the sons of princes. How many, O oh God, look to themselves and not to Thee. And we pray today that we would be a people, whether it's individually within our homes and our families or within the church, that we would not look to one another or look to other individuals. But Father, our trust and our confidence would ultimately be in the name of the Lord our God. And we thank Thee that as the people of God and as those who fear and love Thee, that we can say that Thy mercy endureth forever. And we thank Thee, O God, for Thy mercy and for Thy grace that is upon us. We thank Thee for Thy love in that Thou didst send Thine only begotten Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, into this world to be born and to be led humbly in the manger to live a life that was pure and sinless, the one who was without any blemish or spot, the great sacrifice, the Lamb of God who went to Calvary's cross and died for His people. And Father, we rejoice today in all that Thou hast done for us. We thank Thee that we can look unto Thee 
And we thank Thee that as Thy people we can fix our attention upon our God. And we pray that as we gather in worship that we would not be distracted, and that our thoughts, our minds, and our attention would be where it ought to be as Thy people, upon Thee and upon our Savior and upon Thy Word. And Father, we pray that Thou would bless us today. We do remember those who are not here with us. For various reasons, we remember those, Father, who need Thy help and Thy touch. We do remember our brother Vern again today. We pray Thy hand would be upon him. Do you remember the family circle also? Remember, Father, our brother Colin and his mother, niece, and their need. Father, Clayton Stowe. Remember, Lord, remember, Father, others as well. We think of our brother, the Reverend Hamilton, and uh, his uh, needs today, his health needs. And, Lord, there are many. We think of Calvin Golliger also. And, Lord, draw near, we pray. Uh, give that grace and give that help, that strength, and the touch of the great physician. We realize, O oh God, there are many trials and difficulties that we pass through as thy people. And uh, we realize that health is just one aspect of the many difficulties that we can face. And Lord, there are many issues that beset us that are only known to ourselves and known to thee. And we pray that thou would give us grace, give us help, and meet our needs uh, to the glory of thy precious name congregation. We pray for families. We pray that would unite families in the Lord, that thou would save souls. We pray for those here today, Lord, save. Their Savior, and by thy We pray for our area and our nation and the great need for the gospel of Christ to be believed, and men and women and young people to forsake sin and look to the Lord. Lord, we pray that Thou would move in power and mercy. Lord, we do think as well uh, of our need to walk with Thee, and we realize today we'll see something of that, the need to walk righteously, the need to walk in Thy grace and to walk in light of what Christ has done for us. And we pray that thou would help us to flee sin, to forsake sin, that sin would not have victory, uh, but that uh, we would have victory over it through the power of Christ. And we would put to death those sins that can so easily beset us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Lord, we look to thee we pray that thou would bless. We do think of the endeavors of this congregation throughout this year. We think of the radio. Father, we think of other uh, avenues as well of service and of spreading the gospel. And we pray that thou would bless in all of this, that the glory would be thine and thine alone. Lord, meet with us today. And we pray thou would sanctify us and thou would teach us. And thou would melt us and mold us according to thy word. And through the work of thy spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're turning again in our hymnals, the hymn number 55. The hymn 55, God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. Hymn 55, and we'll stand as we sing, please. Thank you. 
may be seated. Going to turn in the scriptures to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. And as we come to this passage this morning, I thought about it for a while as how to go about this. We have various qualifications for the eldership. And so do we just go down every single one? And we deal with being blameless. We deal with a husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, and eventually come to the end. And uh, we are going to maybe group some of them together. And uh, the points that we have, not only today, but uh, next week, God willing, etc., uh, will group together uh, some of these qualifications. And so this morning, uh, we're dealing with morality, the qualification of morality, the qualification of love and care, and we'll not get to it, uh, but the qualification of teaching. And so uh, some of these, I suppose it's an umbrella term for some of these, we'll be looking at being blameless and being the husband of one wife and looking at all of that under the heading of morality and uh, looking at other aspects as well. And later on, we'll be looking at leadership in relation to verse 4 and verse 5. And so we'll group them together a little bit. We may jump ahead of some, as you see in the page of Scripture, uh, but we'll group some together and we'll deal with it uh, that way. And so we're going to read uh, from 1 Timothy 3 and verse 1. And the Word of God says, This is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Amen. And may the Lord bless uh, the reading of his precious word this morning. At this point, can we extend again a warm word of welcome to all, to those who may be visiting, uh, to those who are watching online. We welcome you and we trust the Lord will bless as we gather together in his name. Uh, we uh, do, uh, we are uh, replacing the carpet. Uh, the new carpet tiles will be installed this week. Uh, the installers come uh, early in the morning uh, to commence this work. And so it is perhaps a little dusty. And I was in the office. I wasn't rolling around the floor, uh, but I was in the office and I looked at my knees and they were covered in dust. And I'm not sure what happened or how the dust got there, uh, but it is a little dusty. And so uh, we trust that you'd uh, bear with it just for this last Lord's Day. And hopefully next Lord's Day, uh, the new carpet will be fitted and can be enjoyed and used by us. 
And in regard to the carpet, we do thank those who not only uh, the previous week, but also this week as well, and yesterday especially, helped with various aspects uh, of uh, the work. Uh, there are pews that needed to be moved, and some will be moved tomorrow as well. Uh, there were nails uh, needing to be uh, driven into the floor to help uh, various uh, squeaks and different things. Uh, there was cleaning as well, and so uh, we do thank those who gave of their time uh, to help us in this work. Uh, we also thank as well uh, Mr. Rusma. He was here on Thursday morning clearing the snow. And so uh, not only do we appreciate that, but uh, the daycare downstairs, who use uh, the downstairs on a daily basis, they appreciate uh, that as well, and others who helped in various ways. Do you remember the uh, services today? Uh, the prayer meeting is at 5.30 p.m., the evening service at 6 p.m., and in the will of God, I'll be here to bring the word of God. I am uh, preaching in Langley Free Reformed Church this afternoon, and uh, do pray for us as we take up the Word of God there. Uh, their pastor, uh, as we have been praying for him recently, has been undergoing radiation treatment and is not preaching uh, at this time. And so do pray for his recovery, and we're going across there just to help out uh, this afternoon. Uh, but our brother does appreciate the prayers of the Lord's people, and I know there are those here who have been uh, praying for him as well. The bulletin says the current magazine is now available, uh, but won't be available to uh, this evening, and so uh, do uh, remember that. Uh, there's an incentive to come tonight uh, to get uh, your current magazine, and uh, there is a connection uh, with Cloverdale as well. Uh, there is a photograph of myself, but there's another connection with Cloverdale, and so I'll uh, let you see if you can spot it. And to the person involved, we congratulate them. And there's a little clue as to what it might be. So we can let you look at that. And it's good uh, to have uh, those within the congregation being mentioned in the magazine. And uh, certainly it reminds us of uh, the greater work of our denomination as well. And so do take a copy of it. If you normally don't, uh, do make sure you take a copy. And they'll be available, God willing, uh, this evening. On Wednesday, there is our prayer meeting and Bible study, 7.30 p.m. in the prayer room and on Zoom. And then on Saturday, uh, there is the women's breakfast at, sorry, it's not the women's breakfast. We're free this Saturday. It's Saturday the 3rd of February uh, to remember the women's breakfast at 9 and the men's prayer meeting at 7.30. Uh, there is a Toronto Young Adult Conference, and that is open to the regular attenders of the denomination, aged between 18 and 30. Uh, the dates are July the 31st, August the 4th. Accommodation is $500 plus transport to Toronto. And the speaker is the Reverend Roger Higginson from our Lisburn congregation in Northern Ireland, in Ulster. And so if our, there are those within the congregation, etc., who are interested, uh, then do speak to me and I can give you the various uh, contact details for that. Then our congregation, alongside our Prince George congregation uh, have planned a Western Canada Family Conference. And that is being planned for the long weekend of August the 30th uh, to September the 1st. It's being held in Williams Lake. It's our desire that uh, this conference would encourage spiritual growth 
and closer fellowship between our churches in Western Canada. Uh, we have the church in Williams Lake, Prince George, here in Cloverdale, in Penticton, and uh, we have our Calgary congregation a little further out as well. And it's our desire to encourage spiritual growth, growth within families, and closer fellowship uh, between our congregations. And so we decided uh, that we would have a family conference. It's something that's been upon the minds for a while, and we brought it uh, to our session. Uh, we're all behind it. We're supporting it. We're looking forward to it. And it will be held the September long weekend this year. The preacher is the Reverend John Wagner. And there is free registration. Uh, in other words, that means that it's free to go to the conference. It's free to attend the meetings. And uh, there is a contact email. There will be leaflets available next week, but there is a contact email. And if you're able to go to let us know, uh, because of various arrangements with food, etc., uh, we don't want to have food for 20 people. And then 120 people show up, and we're going to have to go uh, to the shop and get some more food. So really, in regard to those arrangements, that's what it's for. And... Uh, we will say more about this later on. The preacher is the Reverend John Wagner, uh, the deputy moderator of our denomination. He's coming uh, to Williams Lake, and he's going to commence a short ministry there for two months with this conference. Uh, there will be meetings on Friday, August the 30th, the Saturday, and the Lord's Day as well. And uh, We're planning to have a book table with the books and materials available for purchase uh, to help families uh, in uh, the ministry of the Word of God within their own homes. And so uh, it is open to all to attend. It is a family conference. And so uh, we're inviting families. We're inviting uh, everyone to come and to have fellowship uh, with us. And there are uh, various places available for accommodation. We have not uh, planned anywhere. We've left it open to every individual as to where they want to stay, whether they want to camp or bring an RV or whether they want to get an Airbnb or a hotel or the very best hotel in Williams Lake. That's up to yourself. Uh, we've left that open. Uh, but the details are on the table. They're in the bulletin and there will be leaflets next week. So we do encourage you uh, to think about this and to uh, plan to come and we're looking forward, we're, we're excited. Uh, our session, Reverend Simpson as well, uh, who is one of the driving forces behind this, we're excited uh, regarding the plans, and we trust the Lord would bless this endeavor. So do uh, look at this, do plan to come, and we're looking forward to a blessed time uh, with each other and around the Word of God. These are all the announcements, the subject to the Lord's will. And we're going to turn in our hymnals to hymn 128, while our tithes and offerings for the Lord's work are received. 128, man of sorrows, what a name for the Son of God who came.
Shall we bow our heads? Our heavenly God and Father, we come before thee this morning. We thank thee, Lord, for your goodness, for your love to us. We thank you, Lord, for all your provisions that we get from thy hand. We ask that you would bless these tithes and offerings, that you would use them, that the gospel message may go forth. And we ask that you would meet with each one here this morning as well. Bless our pastor, give him the words to speak. Open your word that we may hear it, that we may understand it, that it may be written on our hearts. Help us to love our Savior, to enjoy him, and we ask, Lord, that you would bless us through this Lord's day and help us to worship thee, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand to sing verse 4 and verse 5, please. seated. Turning again in the Word of God to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. And in preparation, this went from a sermon dealing with many aspects uh, to a sermon dealing with a few aspects, uh, to a sermon dealing with probably two aspects, and maybe a sermon that may only deal with one aspect. And so we will see how we go this morning, and uh, we uh, will come back to this in uh, the weeks, likely the weeks that lie ahead as well. There's so much here, uh, so much for us to consider, and uh, it is good uh, for the church in many ways, to consider what we have here. Uh, you may not be eligible to be elected an elder within the Church of Christ, uh, but yet it is beneficial for you to see this standard of godliness, uh, to see this standard that applies uh, to each man, because as we've said, this is not something that is uh, just for the elder uh, in regard to, uh, we've said that before, but think of being apt to teach uh, well, if a man is teaching false doctrine, if he's uh, trying to teach in the congregation against the truth of the gospel, well, he's probably not a good candidate to be an elder of the church and to uphold that truth. And so uh, he doesn't suddenly change when he's elected an elder. He's not elected an elder uh, because it is seen that he is not apt uh, to teach. And so uh, those who are apt to teach, as we'll see, that does not necessarily mean standing in a pulpit and preaching, uh, but from the pastoral office it is. 
uh, but from the office of the ruling elder. It is something uh, that uh, we see in word, in deed, uh, by example, uh, in guarding that truth, in guarding the teaching of the truth, in seeking to encourage and instruct others uh, from, uh, the, from the context of conversation, of encouragement, of example. And so uh, these characteristics should be found in every believer. And uh, you uh, may uh, be a lady this morning, and we're dealing with elders, and therefore, because of the position of our church, uh, a lady cannot stand as an elder. And you think, well, this isn't for me today. I don't have to pay great attention uh, because it applies to my husband or applies to the other men in the congregation, not to me. Uh, well, at some stage in the future, and churches have elections for elders and for office bearers, and for you to understand uh, the qualifications is vital for you to make a godly and a prayerful decision. And of course, if you're married, and if there are men within your home, to know what these qualifications are, to encourage them in the Lord, but to encourage yourself, and to see uh, the great standard uh, that the Lord has here uh, that is really, and I've said this before, a simple standard in godliness. A simple standard in godliness. And so, that is something to pray for, for yourself, to pray for, for men in the congregation, to pray for, for our denomination, uh, that they would know such men as this. And so, First Timothy chapter 3, uh, that wasn't the sermon, uh, that wasn't even the introduction, uh, but First Timothy chapter 3 and the verse 1, and this is a true saying, if a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife. And let us seek the Lord in prayer. We come to a solemn portion, a serious portion, and as many within the church would deem it a controversial a portion of Scripture as well. Let us pray. Father and our God, we thank Thee for Thy Word. We thank Thee for Thy truth. We thank Thee that here is an example to us and how to live as Thy people and how to glorify Thee and how to live a godly life. And we pray that each one of us, regardless of office within the church, that we would desire to live godly lives for Thee, to the honor and glory of Thy name, not because uh, we have ambitions for office, but because simply we want to glorify our God. And so we pray today, Father, that Thou would teach us, and Thou would teach us according to the standard for Thy church, and we pray that Thou would make these things clear and plain to us. Thou would challenge us, and we pray Thou would challenge each one of us, whether we be young or old, whoever we are within thy flock, that, Father, there would be a word for us this day. And we thank thee for the elder. We thank thee for this gift to thy church of men to lead, men ordained by God uh, to lead uh, thy flock. Father, we pray thou would bless us, teach us, guide us, instruct us. May all things be made clear and plain and applied to our hearts through thy spirit. Uh, we pray for Christ's sake. Amen. <clears throat> Amen. The work of 
the elder, as we see here in 1 Timothy 3, uh, the work of the bishop, that word bishop, as we considered last week, being interchangeable uh, with elder or with even pastor. That work, the work of an elder, is an honorable and a noble work. And that is what we considered last Lord's Day. It is a work that the people of God should pray for. We need elders, not mere men, but men who are God-fearing, men who are enabled by the Spirit of God to fulfill this noble work. And the spiritual and the serious nature of the work of the eldership should never be treated lightly by the pastor, by the elder himself, by the deacon, the other office within the church, or by the congregation. It is a serious task, and we should pray for our elders. And that challenge goes out. Have you prayed for the elders of this congregation? Have you prayed for God's blessing upon them? Have you prayed that they would be examples in godliness and holiness? And as we move through these qualifications, uh, that they would exhibit these to the glory of God and as an example to the flock of Christ. And the office of the teaching elder and the office of the ruling elder, being two branches, as it were, of the same tree, are a gift from God to his church. In Ephesians chapter 4, the apostle reminds us, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, and there we have the ordinary roles, there we have those within the local congregation pastoring, teaching, doing that work of oversight for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the building up, the edifying of the body of Christ. And there Paul says, the officers in the local church, the spiritual oversight, dear believer, is for your edification. It's for your perfecting. It's not to stand over you like the taskmaster in Egypt, standing over the slaves of the Israelites, but rather it's for the perfecting of the saints, for growing in godliness, for that growing in holiness, for that work of sanctification, for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, not the turning down of the body of Christ, but the edifying of the body of Christ. And so the elder is one who seeks to build up the body, not seeks to turn it down according to his own ideas and philosophies. There is a time and a place for turning down, turning down falsehood, turning down uh, those things that seek to come in to destroy the flock. But generally speaking, it's a work of edifying. And of course, turning down that which ought not to be found within the church is a work of edification and perfecting and building up but not working according to our own ideas or agendas. And so the work of spiritual oversight is seen in the Scriptures in the life of the New Testament church. If we turn to Acts chapter 14, Acts chapter 14, the Apostle Paul is on his missionary journey. Churches have been established as a result of souls coming to know Christ as Savior. And in verse 21, And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had taught many, they returned again to Lystra and to Iconium and Antioch. And Paul turned to these cities again. Was it because he liked the scenery or he liked the mountains or he liked the river? No. 
to confirm the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith and that we must, through tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. There's a work of encouragement. And when they had ordained, verse 23, elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they had, on whom they believed. And so, as Paul left, he wanted to check the spiritual health of the church. They were saved. They were young converts. And he went to check, how are things? And one of the things that they did was the ordination of elders in every church. Not one elder to oversee many, many churches, but a plurality of elders in a plurality of churches. And they took this seriously. They prayed and they fasted and they set these men apart for the work of God. And they set them to take care of the flock of God. And that is how it should be. The work of Christ in the local congregation is a work that is overseen by elders on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the scriptural pattern in the New Testament. Too many have rebelled against that pattern. The ruling of elders because of their pride or their inability to be under authority. Maybe because of the failure of the elders to be good biblical and godly leaders. And these qualifications here in 1 Timothy imply how the elder is to work and how the elder is to live and serve. And people have left the oversight of elders for many reasons and placed themselves over others to lead spiritually. And they are unfit in many ways to do so. I can think of many parachurch organizations that have been set up and run with oversight by individuals and such parachurch organizations have promoted liberal agendas. And part of the problem with a parachurch organization is they're outside the church, but their funding comes from the church and from individuals. And they have to reach out to a vast spectrum of beliefs and positions and creeds. And of course, many of these organizations have promoted liberal agendas within Reformed circles because there is a lack of biblical standards. And such organizations often, not everyone, but some can place themselves above the church for the church needs these organizations to survive in their mind, to fulfill the mission of the church. Other organizations that have a specialization in printing or maybe some other sector that churches need that is specialized. I'm not talking about those organizations, but parachurch organizations whose purpose it is to teach theology to the pastors of the church, to teach the church how to evangelize, to provide opportunities to serve, to help in the restructuring and the leadership of the church. That's the work of the elders as we see in the New Testament. Everything that takes place within the church comes under the oversight of those who have been appointed ultimately by God, to have such oversight. And sadly, as a result of such things, there are too many individuals doing the work of elders who in reality are unqualified to be elders. And that is our focus here this morning. Paul says this is a good and a noble work, but it is a work that is set apart for those who meet the biblical qualifications and not every Christian is qualified. Not every man is qualified. Not every doctor is qualified to perform specific and complicated surgery on an internal organ. If you needed a heart operation, 
Well, you're not going to want a surgeon who deals with broken toes. You're going to want a heart surgeon, someone who's specialized in this, who knows what they're doing. Not someone who may have a vague idea of how the heart operates, but they haven't looked at the heart since they were in medical school. Not every Christian is qualified to be an elder. In fact, we could think only but for the grace of God, no man is qualified to be an elder. It is by God's grace, by God's grace. And there are many within the church and they are unqualified to be an elder, but as time goes by, as the Lord works within their life, as the Lord redeems them and sanctifies them, they become a man of God within the local congregation, servant of the Lord, bringing glory to God, raising up that standard for the Lord in the local congregation, but yet years previous, they were far from meeting the qualifications. And that's a work of grace. It's a work of God. Accounts like that encourage us that the Lord is calling men not merely to minister the word, but to lead in the local congregations. And there's a need for that. And we must also be reminded, as we've said already, that these are standards of Christian living. Standards of Christian living. If a church member who is not a deacon or an elder lived a life where he is guilty of sin and morality, teaching false doctrine, then the elders of the church have a duty and a responsibility to say, we need to talk to you, not about becoming an elder. We need to talk to you about your sin. We need to talk to you about these issues. Because they are issues that affect your Christian walk within the life of this congregation. As I've said, these standards don't automatically apply when you become an elder. And so, dear congregation, we are to pray for men like we have in 1 Timothy 3. We're to pray that elders, our elders, would be like these descriptions. We, would, we should pray that God would raise up men who exhibit these traits across our denomination. We are blessed by having elders. And let us pray for other men who can take on this role as well in God's will across our denomination. That may not be for many years. But we must always look to the future and pray that God would raise up men to continue his work. John Calvin said that those chosen to minister God's word must first of all be careful to obey Paul's teaching here. Those who may be called at a future time should take note of what the apostle says and seek to prepare themselves. So, there is teaching here for us all, for us all to consider. And there's a serious importance regarding these qualifications. We need to know what God says, not what a denomination says. What God says and what God teaches. Al Martin, a Reformed Baptist, wrote uh, Pastoral Theology. It's a three-volume set of Pastoral Theology. And it is uh, one of the best publications on Pastoral Theology I've ever read. And they were based on lectures that he gave. And he said that God requires all who aspire to the pastoral office the manifested graces indicative of a genuine, matured, balanced, and proven Christian character. What's he saying? The elder is to be a genuine, matured, balanced, and proven Christian character. And we should all aspire to be like that in our homes and in our church. And so the question is, are you men in a position to serve the Lord? 
by being a man who shows forth these wonderful traits in your life. Are you desirous to live for the Lord and to be godly? Well, Paul here tells us practically how we can be godly men within our homes, within our congregation, regardless of the eldership, in our homes and in our congregation. And in the will of God, those are men that the church considers by the leading of God to be elders. And so we're going to consider the qualifications for eldership. And firstly, I want you to see the qualification of morality. The qualification of morality. And as I look at the clock, it seems to be more and more. We may only get one done today, uh, but we'll see how far we get. The qualification of morality. We see that in verse 2. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife. And I've took these two. I've combined them under morality. In other words, an elder should have morals. We see as well uh, there in verse 2 of good behavior. An elder should have good behavior. And the Apostle Paul is setting forth here the general Christian teaching of morality. Morals can be defined as being concerned with the principles of right and wrong behavior and the goodness or badness of human character. And the elder is to be one who is blameless. And immediately we see a problem. Our spiritual leaders are absolutely disqualified for none of them are perfect. I guess that brings a conclusion to the sermon this morning before we even really get started. We're all insufficient. But our sufficiency is off the Lord. And this word blameless, what does it mean? Does it mean total perfection? Does it mean that the elder has to be one who never sins, never has a wrong thought going in his mind, never gets angry, never gets cross, never gets frustrated, even in his own mind, regardless of showing that. What does this word blameless mean? John Gill said, not that it can be expected that such a one should be entirely free from sin or blameless in the sight of God, but he, that he should be one who is so before men and has not been guilty of any notor notorious crime and particularly is not charged with the vices hereafter mentioned or hinted at. There's to be no blemish, no spot. The elder is to be a man to whom great sin cannot be attributed. A man who is blameless and deemed to be blameless in the congregation. And so there is an elder of a church and you look at him and he's a businessman. And he may look good and dressed in his suit and in his tie and always active in the house of God. But then you look at his business and there's corruption and there's lies and there's deceit, and there's swindling, and there's all sorts of sin going on as he runs his business, seeking to get as much money as he can, not caring who he tramples over. Is that man blameless? Can sin be attributed to him? Does he have a good testimony in the business world? The answer is no. The answer is no. And this thought of being blameless is not that a man is sinlessly perfect, for only the Savior is, but it is that there is no major sin within this man's life that will disqualify him from serving the Lord. 
So, for example, coming to that second qualification, the husband of one wife, the church is not coming to the Lord's table, and they're serving the table of the Lord as a man who is known in the congregation for being guilty of adultery. Not secret, but it's open, it's known, and it's a problem. It's a problem. He's not blameless. He's not blameless. And so, the elder is to be one who is not influenced by sinful ideas and practices, one who seeks to separate himself from the world and seeks to separate himself from sin. He is not sinlessly perfect, but he desires before God to live a righteous life, to live a life that is conformed to the Lord. Turn with me to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. And the verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And so there is to be this separation from the world. The believer is to be separate, not conformed to this world, transformed unto Christ. Not just the elder, but the believer. There is to be this avoidance of sin. Paul speaks in 2 Corinthians 6, Wherefore come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And this qualification of being blameless summarizes or encompasses everything the apostle says here in 1 Timothy 3. An overseer must be without reproach. No man can be sinless. But the elder must be one who desires and seeks to be blameless in his outward and observable conduct. David Dixon, the Scottish preacher, said that the office and work being spiritual, it is necessary that elders should be spiritual men. It is not necessary that they be men of great gifts or worldly positions of wealth or high education, but it is indispensably necessary that they be men of God at peace with him, new creatures in Christ Jesus, men who love the Lord, men who desire to walk in his ways, not men who are living a life that is filled with sin. So the integrity of a gospel elder should be without question. Such a man is not chosen as an elder because he is a successful businessman or maybe because his wife brings the best desserts to the church and you want to make sure that that keeps happening. A man does not become an elder because he agrees with the pastor in absolutely everything. And so the pastor can do what he wants because the elder is always going to say yes. Elders should not be handpicked by the pastor. He is elected by the congregation as they seek the Lord, because he is seen as a man who is blameless, a man who desires to walk for the Lord and not, and not into sin. And that is the position that every one of us need to be in. Whether we would be eligible for an elder or not, that is basic Christianity, fleeing sin, Avoiding sin, mortifying the deeds of the flesh, as Paul says. Not letting sin have that dominion over us, but living as Christ died for us. Living in light of his salvation. Living in light of what he has accomplished for us. Not living 
in sin, while living for our Savior. So a bishop, an elder, must be blameless. They must be the husband of one wife. We'll come to that in a moment. But notice that phrase of good behavior. We can perhaps smile at that. We talk of children and good behavior. Uh, but the Bible says here, well, the elder, he has to behave. He has to have good behavior at home, in the workplace, in church. He has to make sure he behaves. The apostle is not talking as if the elder is a child and must fold his arms in church and must not run about the church screaming and playing like a child. But rather the Greek here means, for good behavior, it means well-arranged, <coughs> seemly, modest. And so the elder is to be, as Paul is indicating here, someone who is a good example in Christian duty, someone who is Christ-like, someone who exhibits the work of grace that Christ has done within his life, desiring to follow the Savior. 2 Thessalonians 3 verse 7 says, For yourselves know how ye ought to follow us, for we behave not ourselves disorderly among you. 2 Thessalonians 3 verse 9, Not because we have not power, but to make ourselves an example unto you to follow us. 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. 1 Timothy 6 11, But thou, O man of God, Flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. And what do these verses teach us? Teach us where to follow the Savior. We're to live in his ways. We're to flee sin and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Not merely say this is what we're going to do. But we do it. We do it. For the glory of God. We follow after sin. We are that good example. Again, simple, basic Christian living. If I stood up and preached a sermon and never mentioned the elder and I read those verses and said, we're to flee these things and we're to live for the Lord in godliness and righteousness, you're not going to turn around and say, this is just for the elder. He's made a mistake. He hasn't said, this is for the elder. He's applying it to us. And it is to be applied to us. And the elder is to be a man in whom the congregation are led to see by the guiding of God. This is a man who does these things. This is a man who leads righteously. And why? Because in that position he's in of spiritual oversight, he has to give an example. He has to lead. He has to encourage in godliness. He may have to deal with sin in others and deal graciously and wisely. How can a man deal with sin in others if there is so much sin, unconfessed sin in his own life? And so there is a standard of living righteously. Living righteously. The elders to be an example in godliness and the writer of the Hebrews tells us this in Hebrews 13, 7. Remember them which have the rule over you who have spoken unto you the word of God whose faith follow. Those who have the rule. Those who are in oversight. We're to follow their faith. And therefore that faith is to be a good example. And often that faith is the faith of those who have the rule over us. They're an example. Sometimes it's believers who've been converted a long time. And young men in the church. And I remember looking at this. And seeing not merely the elders in the congregation. But the deacons as well. 
and not merely the deacons, but mature believers. Mature believers who were an example. They were not in office. They were not elders and deacons or the pastor, but they were in the church. They were faithful in the church. They were serving the Lord in the church. They too were examples in godliness as they came and served the Lord in the local congregation. And there's a great reminder of what we have to be. We are prone to frailty. We are prone to mistakes and errors. We are prone to sin because we are human. That does not mean we should tolerate sin. Paul said, For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify or put to death the deeds of the body, ye shall live. We can think of Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit is to be exhibited. The elder is to be one who shows forth the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, not one who shows forth the works of the flesh. And part of this good behavior then is seen in his, reproach, his approach to married life. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife. The elder is to be the husband, the pastor is to be the husband of one wife. Simply put, he is to be a one-woman man. If his wife passes away, or he passes away, his wife can remarry, he can remarry. He is free to do so. That's another subject entirely. That is the personal business of the elder. But he is not to be a man who has more than one wife, who divorces his wives and remarries constantly. A man who doesn't like her cooking and changes his wife. A man who doesn't like how she speaks about how he leads in the church. And so he changes his wife. He's decided to change his ways or his habits or desires to have a new wife simply because he's getting a little fed up with his old wife. And so he divorces and remarries. That's not what the elder should be doing. That's not what any Christian should be doing. He should have a strong married life and a strong family life that is centered on Christ. That's what should be desired. Of course, that may not always happen. But yet that should be what is desired, a strong married life, a strong family life that is centered upon the Savior. Does that mean the elder then should have a blameless and perfect marriage and a blameless and perfect family? No, no. My pastor did not have a perfect family because I was the child. And so I know very well uh, there was not perfection. You behaved the best you could, but you were still a child. You still did childish things. You still behaved and thought as a child. Just because you were uh, the child of a pastor or an elder did not mean that you were somewhere higher than everybody else in spiritual living. You're still a child doing the things of a child. Does not mean here, especially verses 4 and 5, that the family should be perfect. It does not mean, husband of one wife, that the marriage should be perfect. There are trials and there are difficulties, like every marriage, to be worked through. But it must be a family that is focused on the Lord and a marriage that is strong from the Lord. And the elder... By this phrase, the husband of one wife is to be free from immorality. His marital life is to be in line with Scripture. 
polygamy, sodomy, adultery, deviations from God's ordained order of marriage between one man and one woman, any deviation, whatever we can throw in there, all these things are off limits in the Word of God, not merely for the elder, but for the believer as well. These are things that must not mark the elder. How can an individual struggling to save his marriage turn to an elder for help when that elder is on his third or fourth wife? Because just of issues that have never really been resolved. The marriage bond is important. It must be preserved in God's grace. And certainly there must be attempts and counsel to preserve it. If a couple within the church are drifting towards divorce and Divorce is a serious thing. It's a solemn thing. It's something that is grievous. It causes sorrow and heartbreak. It's a sensitive issue. There are many reasons for divorce. There are many individuals who are innocent when it comes to divorce. It's not through their fault that this has come upon them. There are families that have been torn apart by divorce and by reasons as to why the marriage ended in this way. It's a solemn thing. But the marriage bond is important and must be preserved in God's grace. And if a couple are drifting towards divorce, the spiritual leadership are to counsel. They can't force the couple to stay married, but they desire by God's grace to work toward a resolution. What is grievous in the Lord's eyes is the setting aside of such a duty and a responsibility. Oh, let them divorce. Let them resign from the church. Don't let them leave. These are messy things. We don't want to get involved. Let them handle it themselves. Don't give advice just in case you get it wrong and are blamed. Well, if they're divorcing anyway, well, let's step in and by God's grace seek to help and counsel. As long as my marriage is strong, some men can say, oh, look, strong or isn't talked about by the community, oh, it's okay. Others can do their own thing. I don't want the hassle, and I don't want the grief. But I've known men who have worked hard under God to help counsel families. And there are marriages today that still exist because pastors and elders had a love for God and a love for his people and a love for those whose marriage was falling apart to spend time with them in prayer, in counseling. Ultimately, it is all of God. It is his work. But those families are together today because of hard, diligent labor by the grace of God. It's the Lord's work. And if we truly value the institution of marriage and what it teaches about Christ in Ephesians 5, we will desire to help preserve marriages. And the bishop, the elder, is to be the husband of one wife. That is part of the oversight of the elder. To help in these situations. To take leadership, to give counsel. And he, therefore, can't be a man who doesn't regard marriage himself, who treats it lightly, who's been married to several different individuals at the same time. And that's what we find within the ancient world, polygamy. Polygamy. It's not legal today in some places, but yet it was legal then. It was practiced then. And this is what Paul is saying the elder has to be a man of integrity, not a man who has several wives, not a man who has had 
trial after trial in the place of marriage, not a man who doesn't regard marriage because he has to help and counsel when it comes to these matters. There's always been issues about marital purity within the church. In 1 Timothy 4, there were those who sought to forbid marriage in the church. But what does the Lord desire? The leaders of the church to have marriages that are godly examples to all in the church. One man and one woman in one covenant for life, broken only by death. And being faithful to marriage vows involves many things, including the setting aside of immorality, the killing of sin, being careful in our interactions with others, wise pastors and elders, wise believers, take care not to place themselves in compromising situations. Al Martin said, there must be unquestioned purity and marital infidelity, so much so that one would have to be wicked and slanderous even to raise the slightest suggestion that there is any other woman in the heart of the elder or in his arms other than his wife. It's a high standard. And dear believer, it's a high standard, not merely for the elder, but for you. For you, marriage is an important and vital institution that society is seeking to demolish and attack constantly. It points to the Savior. And therefore, we are to treat it. We're to treat it well. We're to treat it well. We are not to say, well, we're above this. Husband of one wife, I don't need to worry about that. I'm happily married. I've been married for years. There's nothing to worry about here. This is something that we cannot say we are above and will never, it will never affect us. Christian leaders can fall into this snare. The devil seeks to destroy and hinder the work of God because those in leadership take this qualification, the husband of one wife, a one-woman man, and by the temptation of the devil, they set it aside. They set it aside. And any form of immorality must be avoided. Without going into great specifics, any form. Any form. And how sad it is when those who say they agree with 1 Timothy 3 verse 2, the husband of one wife, and agree in the importance of marriage, and preach that and teach that, then through the temptation of Satan, they take that phrase, they take that word and it's gone. And their ministry is gone. And the work they've done for God has been greatly hindered and affected. And the testimony of Christ regarding their life and their ministry is gone. How grievous, how heartbreaking. It's a terrible, terrible thing to endure. Terrible thing to see. So, dear believer, let us pray for this. That the Lord would bless the marriages within this congregation. Not merely the, elder and the, the elders and the pastor or the deacons. The Lord would bless us all. That we would seek to live this out within our lives. The husband of one wife. The husband of one wife. There's another controversial issue here. And there's a suggestion that this phrase can mean though the elder can't be single. The elder has to be a married man. 
There are those today who say that the elder must be married, the pastor must be married. And the logical conclusion here, based on the belief that Paul was unmarried, is this, that the elder, if he is married, is to be the husband of one wife. This is a preference. This is a preference. I ministered for many years as a single man. I had opportunities to minister because I was a single man. I had ease of going to certain places to minister because I was a single man. Does that mean that I prefer singleness in ministry? No. Being married is is great, is great. It is preferable. It's good to be married. Is every person meant to be married? No. A person can minister for years without being married. They can minister all their life and be successful for the Lord without being married. Is it preferable? Perhaps, perhaps. I wish I had met my wife a long time ago, but I met her in God's will and in God's time. That's very clear. It was not God's will to meet 20 years ago. And we were in the same city on the same day in England, but we never met. We talked to the same people in Australia. We visited the same individual in Scotland a couple of years apart. And that individual spoke of two sisters from Calgary who were oblivious to me. And 10 years later, I met, I met both of those sisters, but I met one in particular. Is marriage preferable? Yes, I would say so. As a single man, I would have said so. But is it commanded? Is Paul saying here, the elder, the pastor, must be married? No, he's not. Is it a hard and fixed rule? No, it is not. And as the church, we must take care because there are many young men called to the ministry and they can run after girls. They're desperate to find a wife because of undue pressure put upon them. That should not be the case. That should not be the case. Leave it with the Lord. The Lord will direct to his choice for your life. If it is his will, and get on with serving him. We're to pray for elders. We're to pray for ministers. We're to pray for the young within our congregation that they would, in God's will, be the husband of one wife or the wife of one husband. They would know the help and the blessing of God and his leadership and not go here, there, and everywhere trying to sort this out themselves. They would rest upon God. There should be no undue pressure. It's important. It's vital. It's a preferable thing, yes, but it's not fixed. It's not a command. And therefore, we should avoid undue pressure lest, lest there be mistakes made that can affect their walk with God, affect them for the rest of their lives. There's many individuals who claim godliness, and yet as things progress, or things progress in a marriage, that's not so. Curse should be taken, and there should be prayer, but not undue pressure. And I say that as one who was single for many years. Did I feel at times there was undue pressure? I think so. I think so. Were the things said to me that shouldn't have been said to me? I think so. Is it a preferable thing? Is it a blessed thing to have a wife? Most definitely. But there should not be undue pressure. 
Leave it with the Lord. Seek to serve and glorify him. And that applies to us all. That applies to us all. May the Lord bless us through his word today. May we see the importance of these things. May he encourage our hearts to pray for one another. There's a need to pray for one another with these matters. Not just focus on ourselves or point out, well, I don't think this person meets this requirement. Have you prayed for them? Have you asked the Lord to change them or change you if maybe you're the problem? Pray for the Lord to sanctify us all, that we would grow in his grace and put him first. May the Lord bless his word for his name's sake. Amen. Amen. I'm going to turn in closing uh, to our to our hymn 523. Uh, 523. Uh, trusting Jesus, simply trusting every day, trusting through a stormy way. Even when my faith is small, trusting Jesus, that is all. And what I've just said, and even regarding the elder, but regarding what we said specifically, certainly this is true. Trusting Jesus. Trusting Jesus in everything. I didn't pick this hymn. Uh, our brother did. Uh, but trusting Jesus. That's what we do with every aspect of our lives. And immorality. And in all these matters regarding eldership. And these qualifications in our spiritual walk. Let us put Christ first. Let us trust him. 523 will stand to sing please.
Let us pray. Our eternal God, our Father in heaven, we pray that we would indeed trust in thee and put thee first and look unto thee. And we pray that in every aspect of our lives, and whether it be to do with the sins that can so easily beset us, whether it be to do with marriage, our marriages, or seeking for marriage, Lord, may we trust in thee with all things. And put thee first. Lord, bless us, we pray. Bless thy word. We thank thee for these qualifications that remind us of the great change that the Savior makes to lives. And we pray, Father, we would rejoice in the great gospel that makes us new creatures in Christ Jesus. Father, bless us. We pray thou would part us with thy blessing. And may the love of God, our Father, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship and communion of God the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen.